0: This is the Sooner Schooner Show, a proud member of the Heartland College Sports Podcast Network. I'm Eric G. from 97.1, the sports animal in Tulsa. Do us a huge favor, rate us five stars, and write a review. When you do both of those things, you're the one who benefits. All right, first of all, we love constructive criticism around here because we want to know how we can get better to serve you. So if we make the show better, it makes the show better for you. Also... By rating us five stars and writing a review, if you take a screenshot of that and you send it to Pete Mundo at heartlandcollegesports.com, you will win a Heartland College Sports koozie. And because we have hit on the time that you're going to be spending at the lake, or we've hit that time of the year where you'll be at the lake or you'll be at the pool, you want to look cool in front of your friends. And what better way is there to look cool than have a Heartland College Sports Koozie, cooling off your beer, right? So make sure you get that taken care of today or do that for us. We'd really appreciate it. And uh, with that, let me tell you what's coming up on this week's episode. We will talk about coaches on the hot seat in college football. Yes, we're bringing it up because CBS did point out that Brett Venables is on the hot seat now. But there was something very unique About this list despite it being obvious. Uh, A couple of things that need to be discussed that uh, go bigger picture with college football. But first we're going to start with why the spring game is important. Yes, it's coming up this weekend and and I know that you can listen to a a thousand podcasts out there that will give you just like an in-depth preview of what's going to happen in the spring. And I do want to point out that when you go there are some players that you're not going to see and, and this is courtesy of our uh, good friends at all sooners which is part of the sports illustrated network javante barnes or javante barnes you already know about had the surgery he's not going to play because of his foot uh walter rouse is out uh caden helms i'm not going to go through the whole list jacob sexton so you've got some guys on the offensive line a couple of tight ends uh one a couple of defensive backs and uh you've got a you know a, a red shirt running back that's out uh, amongst others all right but mainly the the main group getting hit is the offensive line and the reason that that is important okay it's just sidebar here and why that's important with some guys on the offensive line sitting out it's going to play an effect on just how physical this game is or isn't. And one of the big things that Brent Venables has been talking about that we've been reading about and you've been you know, seeing on television or hearing us talk about on the radio is that OU wants to be a more physical team. Well, when your offensive line is thin, and it is thin for this game, it puts a damper on just how physical you're going to be. It, it wouldn't surprise me. I, our, Well, actually, I think it, it would. It would surprise me if we didn't see guys get taken to the ground. You're going to have to tackle. It's a tackling game. It's a hitting game. So you're going to have to go out and hit people. Even in a, a scrimmage like this, which is more of a show for the fans than it is we actually get something out of it, you're going to have to be physical. But I don't expect the offensive line and the defensive line to just go out at full bore the entire time because you can't. You can't afford to get any more offensive linemen hurt. You got to get those guys healthy as you start getting around to summer and then start looking to training camp. Some of the guys that will be limited um, include Kevin Gilman, a defensive lineman. You got a defensive back that's going to be limited in Jaden Rowe. And Trace Ford, which shouldn't come as a shock, To anyone that transfer out of Oklahoma State, because as we've said often on this show, um, prior to this being the Sooner Schooner show, it was the Bedlam podcast. And we talked a lot about Trace Ford often being injured. Great kid out of Edmond Santa Fe. When he's healthy and right, he's an absolute terror on the field. But you've got to get him healthy and keep him healthy. Him not playing in the spring game. It's probably for the best. He was one of the guys I was most interested to see just to see how healthy he is. But when you say he's limited, it tells me there's still some issues that you're nursing. And you're probably never right after you have surgery on both knees. It's kind of hard to be right after that. But with Trace Ford, the one thing about him is he's a committed kid, he'll be tough, and he'll figure out a way that he can get back on the field. Now, I told you, I was gonna. I was gonna discuss why this game is important, and, and here's the thing you gotta remember about this game. All right, seventy thousand people. Seventy thousand people could possibly show up to watch a scrimmage. Let that sink in for a second. Is that a day numbers from Nick Saban's heyday at Alabama where they were packing it in with ninety two? No, but it ain't that much less. Okay, it's twenty two thousand less. Whatever. It's still seventy thousand people coming to watch a scrimmage where nobody wins nobody loses and it tells you just one how important football is but the reason that number is so big and this game is so important more than anything else this day is all about recruiting and while there are no official visits being made to OU on Saturday there are going to be a lot of unofficial visits made plus the transfer portal window has opened back up. And as I'm sure you've seen OU's already lost a couple of kids. Um, Oklahoma State, will just go ahead and mention them. They've lost a couple of kids as well. Caleb ATN is, is out of BYU. But with the transfer portal opening up and kids hopping in left and right from all over the nation and OU being a little banged up in the offensive line and probably wanting to get deeper at some other positions you got to be recruiting. You all, We said last week, you always have to be recruiting. ABR, always be recruiting. Well, 70,000 people showing up is as good a recruiting tool as you can possibly have. And sometimes as fans, we forget just how important we are to the recruiting process. We get caught up in NIL. We get caught up in what the coaches are doing. We worry about what that in-house visit is going to be like, whether or not the kid enjoyed his time on campus. We forget that us just showing up to the game and you having 70,000 people out there for a scrimmage, being loud, cheering as if it was OU taking on Oklahoma State in the last Bedlam game ever played, that's going to make an impact. And not that the crowd will get that loud and will probably be drowned out by music that they're playing over the PA system, but it will make an impression. And that Kyler Murray statue unveiling is the most, you know I don't want to overuse the word important, but that's the biggest thing that you've got going on this weekend. Not just because you're honoring Kyler Murray and you're, you're paying homage to the Heisman heritage that, that OU was built through all these years, but when a kid sees that, Okay, wow. They will immortalize you in a statue? Like, there's seven of these guys that, that are, are here immortalized that long after they're dead, okay, teenagers don't think about long after they're dead, but parents always think about long after they're dead. People are going to remember me. People are going to talk about me. They're going to honor me that way. I mean, you give statues to, to school presidents. You give statues to, well, presidents of the United States, um, you give statues to people that went out and discovered parts of America. Whatever, I'm just just stretching here on all the people that you give statues. But at Oklahoma, yeah, there there are a lot of university presidents that have them. But there are also some football players that have them. Some very important football players, including but not limited to the salesmen, the Selmans, as well as those people who who won Heisman, the seven that won that won Heisman. Those things, again, it's all about recruiting this weekend. It's all about making the impact. And while people are out in message boards and social media and they're contacting these kids and they're telling them how great OU is, nothing speaks volumes more than showing up for an event like this and making an impression. Which, if you want Brent Venables to stick around, yeah, you got to get out there on Saturday. You have got to make that impression. And with seventy thousand people showing up, and I don't know how many showed up at Georgia's game last week or a Texas game the week before, but it struck me as as funny looking at the Southeastern Conference, um, the Southeastern Conference network television schedule for this upcoming Saturday, the OU game, okay, is going to be on ESPN Plus. No big issue with that being on ESPN Plus. You're not part of the SEC yet. There is no Big 12 network, and there are other obligations that ESPN has on Saturday with NBA playoffs and and other things that you've got to fill your networks with. Although I can't think, and I haven't looked too hard at ESPN, you that the OU spring game wouldn't go better, wouldn't go over better than a softball game or a baseball game. But that does bring me back to the SEC network, and my point is, is this. Not one single spring football game is scheduled for Saturday on the SEC network. College football is their lifeblood. Football in itself is a sports broadcasting company's lifeblood, there isn't a more important sport. And while spring games aren't do or die situations, you have to think that there's more interest in spring games than there is softball, baseball, gymnastics, anything else you can put on. And it's not a slight at those sports. It's just football is what drives the conferences. It's what drives conference expansion. And it's what keeps us coming back to sports every year. We do not get near as excited over any other sport than football. So just a slight suggestion for the SEC network next year. What you need to do is you need to get about three, you, you can you break it out to about three weeks. I think it's about Maybe maybe no, nah, it'd be about three to get in all the SEC schools. But you broadcast in April like it is a typical Saturday. Like you start with OU at 11. Wouldn't mind that next year. They're the new kids on the block, whatever. You go to the Georgia game. You go to the LSU spring game. You follow that up with Texas. Maybe you got enough to have somebody do a night game like Alabama. That's five right there. Maybe you can't get in five. Actually, you probably could with the running clock and everything else that they do in the spring game. But you should make it like it is a college broadcast football game day. And you have your SEC game day out there. You have Paul Feinbaum be on location at one of these schools. You break everything down. You talk SEC football. You just make three straight weeks out of it. Not only will you make money, but you will get eyes on sets because that's what people want to see. They want more football than anything else, and the SEC network needs to give it to them. So you're welcome for the suggestion. Um, You can email the check to me in Tulsa. Your home for sports is uh, 97.1 Sports Animal, but you are listening to... You're listening to the Heartland College Sports Network. I am Eric G. This is the Sooner Schooner Show. Coming up next, coaches on the hot seat, and what I learned... From reading that CBS list, real quick, congratulations! Because I don't want anyone to think that I was bashing uh, non-revenue sports. Because really, I don't. Um, I've got a lot of respect for anybody that participates, coaches, and just does college sports because of the the commitment that it takes. But give some love to KJ Kindler and the and the OU gymnast, the women's gymnastics team for winning. I think it's their sixth national championship. Yeah, we always talk about how great Patty Gasso is. You might want to look at that women's gymnastics team when you're having the argument about who is the best team or the best program on OU's campus right now. Because with softball, a lot of people play, okay? And a lot of people have girls that play softball. And I think it was, it was pointed out to me at one point, it's a little more grassroots than a lot of the other sports. You don't have as many girls that, that participate in gymnastics as you do softball. But, um I think you got to give the the women's gymnastics team a lot of credit and K.J. Kendler a lot of credit for building it into the monster that it is. And I've got to the point with them. The difference between them and softball is to me is when OU doesn't win the national championship in women's gymnastics, I'm shocked. In softball, I expect you to make the College World Series. Not necessarily win the national championship, just make the College World Series, which are pretty lofty expectations in and of themselves. Women's gymnastics team, I always expect them to win the national championship. But when they don't, it comes, as bit of a, it comes as a bit of a shock. And to the Florida fans who are upset, who cares? Screw them. Um, Florida fans are upset. I think it's great because it gives us a great introduction into the SEC, and we've already hit on a rivalry that we, were, we weren't we were expecting, which is OU Women's Gymnastics versus Florida Women's Gymnastics. Back to football now. CBS has put up uh, a list of seven college football uh, coaches who are on the hot seat—it's—it's it's pretty obvious. Jimbo Fisher, uh, Neil Brown, on this d- d- don't both of those kind of go without out saying. But some of the other ones that that, that catch your attention—one Ryan Day, which despite having his team in contention for the national championship the last couple of years, has also lost to Michigan the last couple of years, and that's not sitting well with people in Columbus doesn't matter that you win 10, 11 games. You lose to Michigan, they're going to fire you. Urban Meyer, there was an interesting story. I saw it on Barstool where Urban Meyer had made comments about how important the Michigan game was, and he knew how important it was that he, ha- he hired a coach whose only job was to watch Michigan. So it's his only job, just watch Michigan all year long, which if I'm Brent Venables, I hire a guy to do that to Texas. Watch especially after getting beat forty nine to nothing. Hire a guy. Your, what is your job? Watch Texas. Every film. If you can sneak into practice, whatever it is, you you know everything about Texas inside and out. Um, speaking of Texas, Sark was on this list third year. He really hadn't done anything in Austin. Plus, they just like to fire coaches. So, uh, yeah, every year you could put the Texas coach on this on this one. You could put the Auburn coach on this on this list every year. Even if they win a national championship, they're always on the hot seat. But three really catch your attention. Billy Napier, Mario Cristobal, and Brent Venables. And there isn't any doubt that of those three, Venables has the hottest seat because of what is at stake at OU. And we've talked about it ad nauseum. You're moving into the SEC. And if there's any hint that he is not the guy to get it done, Joe Castiglione doesn't have any choice to make a move. Understand, I'm not advocating for that. And here's what CBS says about Brent Venables. It says the second-year Sooner coach is essentially in the same boat as Billy Napier or Mario Ball. and Mario Cristobal. The 6-7 and record is the first sub-500 record since 1998, blah, 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 blah. Uh, it does point out that that came before much of the roster was even born. So if you're my age, that should make you feel old. If you're younger, then you're, you're straight in the boat with these cats. Uh, to make matters worse, the Sooners defense, which is supposed to be uh, Venables' bread and butter, was the second worst defense in the conference. He doesn't necessarily have to lead his team to the Big Twelve title game this year. However, because OU's jumping into the SEC, if he doesn't, it won't instill hope for the future. And I'm telling you now, if you do not make the Big Twelve championship and you're not at least ten and two this year, or nine, I think nine and three, I think is is a bare minimum to instill confidence. Now, nine and three doesn't mean that Joe Castillo will fire him. But 9-3 and three is the bare minimum for people to think you can handle being in the SEC. And if you go 8-4 and four or worse, then it doesn't matter how much money it costs you. You're Joe Castiglione. You're going to have to make a move. And again, I'm not wishing that. I'm just saying that he's got the hottest seat. The coolest seat on here is, is Mario Cristobal. One, because I think Miami's had a dose of reality. Uh, they know that they're not what they were in the 80s. And in the early part of the 2000s and and even throughout the 90s, they've understand that they've fallen back. They've fallen greatly back when it comes to facilities, despite spending more money. They also know that the emergence of the SEC makes it very difficult or much more difficult to recruit in Florida than what it is. So you can't create the state of Miami the way that Howard Schnellenberger did, which is build that wall around South Florida and get all those kids. It's just not possible now. But they know they can be better than that. Um, and I would imagine because Mario Crystalball is a Miami grad, he's probably got better ideas of how to turn things around. I almost see this as like a Mike Gundy, Oklahoma State situation alumni looking at a program that's a little down and he will get it back as close as he possibly can to that i have faith in mario crystal ball he did a great job at at oregon there's no reason it can't be done here billy napier i'm not really really sure what to make of that situation other than the fact that florida should be as good as texas or as good a job as texas and when you aren't winning there when you've got access to the state of the state of florida for the bulk of your kids there's a major issue um, he would be number two. Like, if I had to rank him, I would say Venable Seat's the hottest. Napier's the second, and Crystal Ball is the coolest. Napier, I don't see, in, unless you go sub 500 again, Napier's probably going to get a third year. Crystal Ball, I would almost guarantee he gets a third year, unless it's just an abomination. And Venables, as we've discussed, Said it again. You could have a winning season, and it still may not be enough for people to think that you can win in the Southeastern Conference. Who? Big year for OU. It's all stuff you know, but the fact of the matter is, is everybody has seen it. Everybody's put that light on him. And Brent Venables, he's strong enough to handle this. Trust me. I, I think, I think he'll he'll get it done. I mean, I, I have confidence that he'll get it done this year, but you've got to see improvement, big-time improvement. And the good thing is is you've got a backup quarterback this year if something happens. The offensive line gets healthy, they'll probably be good. Receiver, defense, those are things you're going to need to work on, but the only way you can get that defense good is to get out there and actually perform and do it beyond those first three weeks of the season. All right, that wraps up this week's show. Uh, we'd like to thank everyone for listening. Don't forget – Uh, Whether you're listening to Apple Podcasts or Spotify, rate us five stars, write a review. Take a picture of that, take a screenshot, send it to Pete Mundo. Send it to to, to Pete Mundo at uh, heartlandcollegesports.com, and you'll get that free koozie. We appreciate it. May God bless you and your families. The great Jackie Moon always says, everybody, love everybody. And to paraphrase, Don Cordelius, love, peace, and boomer sooner.